The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's going on? Drinking by his brand new podcast coming right at you. But you know what we got to do first. We got to talk about those things that generate a little revenue for the show. First and foremost, we are brought to you by the Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com slash Matt Slayer. Home to the exclusive video back catalog, the uncensored versions. Get the video versions a week early. And if you don't care about all that, you can still support the show for as little as $3 a month. Less than the cost of a beer. You can give up one beer to help support the show, right? Right? Once again, that is at patreon.com slash Matt Slayer. In continuing being a horrible capitalist, I often forget to promote this, and I'm going to fix that. We have a merch store at awd.net slash merch. There's t-shirts, there's art prints on my photography, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Check that out today at awd.net slash merch. Get yourself a t-shirt. Get yourself an art print of a liquor store, or I'm sure I'm going to put up my pictures from Japan for the art prints real soon. So check that out at awd.net slash merch. Last thing, before we get to the inserted ads, there are two ways you can really help support this podcast that cost you absolutely nothing. One, first and foremost, go to youtube.com slash and now we drink and subscribe. Just help feed the algorithm. More subscribers means it gets shown to more people that aren't subscribers. It just keeps feeding the machine. Cost you nothing takes a second. The second thing you can do is just tell people, share social media posts, just help signal boost the show. Let people know the show exists. And I appreciate the hell out of you, drinking buddies. Oh, and I forgot to mention the Patreon part. The Patreon audio versions are completely ad-free. So this podcast is a special one. I got to sit down with BJ and JJ. It's a lot of J's. At the Tokyo Comedy Bar while I was in Tokyo in December. And it was really interesting to hear about the Tokyo comedy scene, the expat comedy scene, and just how these guys and the whole scene came together. So sit back, relax, pop a cold one, and enjoy Drinking Buddies. Gentlemen, what's going on? Just glad to be here, really. I, uh, I I enjoy the club in the daytime. It's something I've told Ben many times. Like, let me know when you're here. I'll come call me here. BJ. Yeah, BJ Jesus Christ. Yes, BJ Fox. I dead named him. Uh, We're just starting off great, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not used to stage names. I am I, my stage. My my nickname is my stage name. So, but uh, I love being here in the daytime. Actually, yeah, it's a, always a nice to leave my neighborhood for a good reason. Hell yeah. Well, and. For the audio audience who can't see where we're at, we are at the Tokyo Comedy Bar here in glorious Tokyo, Japan. Thanks for coming, Matt. Thanks for having me. I mean, you gave me beer. I mean, that's really all. Gave you cider. Cider. 
cider, uh, which is the last, I think it's the last glass of cider we have in this bar and we'll ever have because we got it purely for Peter Sidel on Sunday night. So, yeah, we did a roast, uh, a farewell roast. When you live in expat land, especially if you're in expat comedy land, you get used to this, right? You have friends and then they just leave. Uh, everyone goes to a couple going away parties a year, I would say. Yeah, just a yeah. couple every year. Uh, and and for this going away party, we actually did a show. So it was, it was a lot of fun. That's where we met. Yeah, I decided to randomly show up to the roast of a comic I didn't know. And was like, hey, by the way, while I'm here, can we podcast? Can I occupy your valuable time in the middle of a weekday? Take you away from your friends and family. <laughs> yeah, luckily my kids are in school, so yeah. Uh, as as is as is mine. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> and for the audio audience, gentlemen, can you introduce yourself so they know which voice is which? I'm pretty sure they know my voice, but okay, I'll go first. I'm BJ Fox. I I was the MC on the roast battle that Matt saw on Sunday. Uh, I'm British. Uh, I'm one of the owners, one of the founders of Tokyo Comedy Bar. And well, so I'm a stand-up comedian, podcaster myself, so lots to chat about there. Uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, too modest. There's more there. He had a sitcom. Had a sitcom in Japan for four years. Yeah, yeah it was great. Uh, and I'm a, my name's JJ Walkrat. I'm a stand-up comedian. Uh, and uh, pretty much that's it. I, I moved here a couple of years ago uh, from China, which is where I started doing stand-up comedy. I run uh, Tokyo Roast Battle, and I, you know, produce and perform shows here at the Comedy Bar as well. So I'm, I'm very happy uh, that we have our own club, you know, finally. What was the Tokyo Comedy scene like before this bar existed? It was very much like this, uh, but it was more, uh, it was, there was no permanent home. We definitely had a really good relationship with a, a fantastic little bar uh, called Good heavens, great place to do shows. Uh, and but but there was a lot of shows, and we jumped around a lot of bar shows. Uh, and we did we did like six shows a week, but in a different venue every single night, almost. Yeah, the open mic was in one part of town, and uh, some weekend shows were in another part of town, and and so it was it was uh, transient, but it was still lively. Yeah, so I think the goal with this is just to make things easier, even though obviously having your own place is you know risk. So one of the things, yeah, I think BJ's been doing stand-up comedy here and sort of incubating the scene for a lot longer. Uh, but I came from a different expat comedy scene. I was, I sort of came up in Shanghai. And one of the things that I've noticed is that there's a lot of actually really talented people here, uh, but they're kind of stuck. Like Japan is is sort of separate from the rest of Asia. It's expensive to get to. It's expensive to leave. So there's a lot of people here who would be making a name for themselves if they were in I guess, more connected cities. Like if they were in London or if they were in in LA, you'd know their names. But uh, here, they're here. They have lives here. They're married. They have kids. uh, And so kind of this is it. But there's actually quite a few pretty talented people around. I'm sure I saw a bunch of them perform on Sunday night. I don't know what day it is. Sunday, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Eventually, I'll figure out what day it is when I have to get on a plane back to the States. Yeah. In the meantime, it's kind of like, eh, show places. But... What makes someone who's pursuing comedy want to stay in a community that is small, that they can't branch out? Big fish, small pond syndrome, surely. Yeah, or it's situational, right? Yeah. You, drop, you drop the load, uh, and now you have a kid, and it's not easy to move, right? People have lives. People have careers. Uh, inertia is a real thing. I mean, the older you get, the harder it is to move. I think for some of our younger members, like there's definitely people now who have an eye, uh, they have one foot out already. They have an yeah. eye to the future. There's some, some definitely some younger people who are 
happy for the stage time that they get and the welcoming, welcoming vibe. Uh, uh, but they know that they're going to move on to greener pastures later. But some of us are just here. Like, I mean, yeah, if you look at the four founders, the four comedians who started Tokyo Comedy Bar, we're all married to Japanese women. So we're all either with kids or got kids on the way. So, yeah, we're not going anywhere. So I think we've given up on that. I, I guess for me, like the comedy dream would be going back to London or doing like an Edinburgh Festival style show. I think that dream is now gone. But why? Because we've got our own little dreams here. We've got a bar here. You know, like we said, we've got a sitcom. There's things to achieve here as well. But I think, you know, before that, you think, okay, you do comedy. You have to, you know, do it in like in a satellite city like Tokyo. Then you move to LA or London. Then, you know, the goal will be a Netflix special. Who knows what the goals are? But I think now, like now for us, we're like, okay, that's not really a path, but we can maybe do something fun and cool. I mean, I've, since I've been in, like, I've pretty much almost exclusively worked in Asia. It's where I started, but I've, you know, I've managed to tour and fly and, and, and gig with some massive comedians that were, that I've always been fans of and things. There's, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot going for the vibe here, but I think also the issue is 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 life, right? Like there's a quality of life that you can achieve. Um, for me, it's more because my wife's job is uh, is centered here, so that's yeah. why I'm here, and I'll make the best of it. Uh, and I'm really like very very happy. I live 17 minutes from this. When I get on a bike, I can be here in 15 20 minutes. So it's really nice to be able to have her come home late from her job and then be like, all right, I'm leaving and know that there's a show here that I can just go jump on. It's really, it's, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, we had a, a British comedian came over here and he was telling me about his life. He actually now has a sitcom on British TV, Steve Bougeria. Yeah. And he was telling me what he's going back to. I was like, when are you going back to London? He was like, oh yeah, I have to go back uh, on Monday and then go and play up in Darlington. It's a four hour trip and uh, go and do 20 minutes up there and then I'll come back. And I was like, oh, you know, even that, that, comedian's life doesn't seem that appealing anymore like the idea that you're going to go back to i guess where you'd go back to canada then i mean my kids are a handful yeah Yeah. being able to step away from them for days or weeks at a time would be awesome (laughs) but canada is so canada if you can work across the border like you got that visa or you're at a certain level then it's fantastic because there's you know comedy in all directions but in canada it's just east west yeah and the, the distances that separate them are extreme so uh, if you're only gigging in Canada, uh, you better be doing it in French or you're kind of fucked. Like the, the French have their own scene. People pay a lot of money to go see stand-up comedy. You can be uh, – you know, you can have a, your show. You can go on like talk shows. People know who you are. You're like a, an actual celebrity. You can make hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars a year doing it just in Quebec. Uh, but if you're in the rest of the country, like you, you should just go, go be an American comic. Like it's, it just makes more sense, yeah. It does, it- a lot of a lot of comedians come down to LA, come down to New York. Yeah, there's a couple of good, great comedians I know that are sort of New York based right now, and yeah, it's great. Yeah, but is the plan to like expand comedy in Tokyo to like more of a Japanese audience? Yeah, that is one thing that we have not been successful with so far. Um, like we're trying to build up a Japanese open mic scene. There's lots of comedy in Japan, like Manzai. Well, even like it's like stand up comedy, but it's all attached to an agency. Um, and we have one comedian who performs here quite regularly, a fairly established comedian who fell out with his agency. So that's great. But most of them are tied up, so they can't perform here. So, and it's not this idea of like normal people thinking, I want to try, you know, I guess what most people start comedy in the West by thinking, oh, I want to be funny. I'll go to an open mic and then it progresses. You get better, then you maybe become pro. But here you become pro straight out of the bat. You join an agency. It's your full-time job. You don't get paid much, but that's what your job is. And anyone who hasn't gone through that path 
dozens to think they could be a comedian. So we're trying to do open mics, but we're struggling a little bit at the moment. It's funny. Uh, yeah, I've been doing a roast battle show here for five years. And until just a couple months ago, we had a grand total of like two Japanese battlers. But like now, now there's a whole bunch that are they're doing it. They're yeah. good. We have Japanese audience members and it's very strange thing to see because I think roast battle is probably something that is not, does not sync well no. with, I think the, the average Japanese personality, you definitely need to be an outliner to come here and be like, Oh, look how rude they're being to each other. That's great. <laughs> so. Yeah. But that's uh, shorter is a young Japanese guy and he came through our open mic system in Japanese now in English, but unfortunately we're losing him because he's going, was it Tor- Toronto? Yeah. He's going to Toronto. Yeah, <laughs> that's like the, that's what we were talking about. Like we get these comedians, they're great. We build them up, and then they're like, "Okay, see you later." But I guess we're proud. They fly the nest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of growth. Yeah, in a lot of these guys in just a couple months, right? So. Yeah, it's awesome. Eventually, you know, be lining the walls with pictures of the graduates of the Tokyo yeah. Comedy Bar. That'd be great. That'd be great. Or maybe just like a special thanks to uh, on a future Netflix special. That'd be nice. Well, but every big club, you know, has the pictures of like the people that started here. Yeah, the wall. Like, it'd be great to like show them in the corner. Yeah, I mean, this place has been open for six months, and I I strongly believe that it will it will have a name that will resonate far beyond the shores of Japan. Like this will be the spot that people want to come play when they come to Tokyo. I think I think that this is obviously a world capital. It's the biggest city in the world. It has its own flavor right it's got its own thing going on and people are very excited to come see it and so every week now there's talented comedians that just happen to be here and the occasional podcaster as well and i feel like more and more of them are going to do this room and it's just a really good room so uh, it's right downtown and i'm really excited to sort of see how like we build a name for ourselves but also how people uh i don't know how to express it but sort of like that it builds kind of like a, a, a a reputation uh, so that people are aware of it even before they step off a plane, you know? Mm. How do you find out about it? Well, before you know, was from L.A., Autistic Thunder, played, like, one of the Roast Battle shows in Tokyo, and I'm like, oh, I did a little Googling. Okay. Google brought me here. Yeah, Josh came and judged one of our shows. Okay. Yeah, we also had him jump around with a shirt off, though. As he does. Yes. That was fun. It was fun because when we started doing Roast Battle – uh, ben, ben uh, sorry, BJ didn't um, did not. Look at you dead naming him again. Yeah, I, it's and I have a I have a friend who's transitioning, and I he she'd her, and yeah, it's terrible. Uh, I have two rules on this show. Yeah, no clean up, no post work. Like you're just causing me all this post work. I'm gonna have to bleep out all these dead names. <sighs> terrible. It's terrible. When we started, we. Uh, I wanted to make sure that we did it right, so we actually went and like I I reviewed a lot of battles from the comedy store and stuff like that so it's fun to start to it's fun when those people come over because i feel like i've been following many of them for years and uh, something that has been more of like an underground kind of scene where not that many people were aware like they knew of roast battle but they didn't know who was like battling at the store who's battling like in new york or these kinds of things but now having a lot more of them come over is like a lot and like being involved with them is a lot of fun well comedy central like actually televising the roast battles for a while, they were like really did help. Like, elevate. it used to be you could just walk into Roast Battle on Tuesday night at the store. Yeah, after it was on Comedy Central, it's just like, oh, that that show sold out all the time. 
Is Roast Battle on every single week in it in Tuesday LA? Nights, yeah. Every Tuesday night. Wow. I think Chicago goes weekly. Wow. Um, Chicago goes weekly as well. Everyone in the Roast Battle League except us goes either weekly or bi-weekly. And we struggle to do monthly. We struggle to do monthly. monthly. Just because of the, like the, I don't know. Just the volume. Yeah, it's just the output required to do jokes and comedians that we have. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, but 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 if we had double the amount of battlers, obviously, yeah. you could go twice as often. Right? Yeah, you got to keep it fresh. You can't have the same people roasting each other back and forth all the time. Yeah. So you've been, obviously, you're very familiar with comedy. You're, you interview a lot of comedians, but, like, what's your connection? When did you step into, you know, comedy? I kind of fell into this because of pornography. Okay, yeah. Jacking off a lot made you sad and you needed to laugh? Like, what's going on? Well, you caught me there. I actually need to pause for a second so I can go jerk off in your bathroom. It's kind of my tradition. I didn't clean one out before we started the show, and I'm a little nervous, guys, if you can't tell. (laughs) So what happened was there is, in L.A. especially, there is a big porn and comedy overlap. There are a handful of porn performers that do stand-up. Yeah. There is a lot of stand-ups that love porn stars. Actually, my old roommate, of all people, was a managing editor for ABN and also a big fan of comedy. And even before we started living together, like we'd be at the store all the time. And you know, because of his porn connections on top of mine, we just met a lot of people and, you know, there's a lot of perverted comics. And it's honestly, comedy is more fun than porn. Once you've seen how the sausage is made in porn, it's just kind of like it's work. Yeah, I mean, wow, L.A., I'd be at shows all the time if I was at L.A., too. Just such good value. Oh, 100%. Like, weekday shows. We were just talking about it. Right? I believe they're cheap. But they're just they're just regular. They're 20 bucks. And yeah. You go, but on any given night, you could you might you might have two or three people on that lineup who could legitimately sell. A oh, if not more. Uh, yeah. If you're there on a weeknight, like, here's a good example of a random comedy store show. I got to watch Louis C.K. No, it was Marin passed the mic to Rock. Chris Rock doing his Oscar material before the Oscars, then passed the mic to Louis C.K. pre Louis getting canceled yeah. for twenty dollars and two drinks. Wow! This was main room, main room comedy chaos. No, this was a Sam show. One of the Sam shows. It was just it's a good show. Yeah, but for twenty dollars, where the hell else in the world? Maybe New York. Yeah, definitely New York. Yeah, is the only other place you could see that kind of lineup for twenty dollars. I mean, some people say London is the best comedy city in the world. But uh, I don't know. I, I lean. I lean like I prefer sort of the American style. But that's just. I'm biased. I live in L.A. Yeah. Unfortunately, the times I've been to London, I didn't get to check out any stand up. So yeah, I'm biased. Also, I don't think in London there is a comedy store, isn't it? The London. Yeah. But I don't think it's got the same value. I don't think like all the up and coming comedians think I want to perform at the London comedy stores. They've got other little venues that they'd rather perform. Like the Angel Comedy Club's bigger, maybe. There's there's a lot of comedy in the yeah. UK. And one of the great things about it is the whole trains, right? Is, is the fact that it's not very big. Yeah. You can gig, 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 gig. You can get across the country easily, right? Mm. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, it's getting, a, yeah, getting to shows can be very difficult in North Getting America. around LA. Yeah. Just the three major clubs, Laugh Factory, Comedy Store, and the Improv are all within a couple miles of each other. Okay. At the wrong time of day, it's a pain in the ass to get between the three of them. So getting around in Tokyo is is amazing and infuriating at the same time because uh, it's such a big city. I mean, it's it's you can't even – there's no adjective which you can use. Everyone thinks they understand, but even I've been here for five years, it's still mind-boggling. Uh, but you, it's so difficult to meet up with people. Even though you can get anywhere by transit, you're always 
two transfers yeah, in 45 yeah. minutes from anyone. Like I have neighbors. I finally have neighbors now, like friends of mine that live close to me in my neighborhood. I still never see them because we're adults. But uh, but before you couldn't just meet up with someone for lunch. Like you couldn't you sort of have to be in the same district or you're not really going to meet up with them. Uh, when I was living in China, it was different because a lot more people I knew were centered around specific neighborhoods. And you could just call people up and be like, hey, let's meet up or let's meet up. Uh, you wouldn't have to plan nearly as far ahead of time. But even here, like where traffic doesn't matter yeah, yeah. because of unreal transit, it's still a fucking pain in the ass to get from show to show. You know? I feel like New York's like that, though, too. You know, <clears throat> a lot of New York comics do bounce from show to show to show, but it's like – Hanging out with friends in New York. It's like, what borough are you in? Nah, I'm not going to see you. Sorry. I miss New York. I, 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 I'm planning to be there next summer. I'm really, really looking forward to it. So. With the L.A. scene, what's crazy is it's a, it's a rough spot these days for up-and-comers because everyone wants to play the store now. So you have all these massive headliners playing the store. So it's not as much of a comedy college as it once was. I moved to L.A. about nine years ago. It used to be any night of the week you could just walk into the store as an audience member because it wasn't as crazy as it now. Rogan talking about the store yeah. all the time. Sam Tripoli putting on Comedy Chaos has elevated it to the point where a lot of the national headliners have to bring their A-game. I used to watch people like national headliners trying out material because it was like the OR is half the room. They didn't feel the pressure. Now it's just like it's sold out almost every night of the week. And what's it's awesome that the, the store's thriving, but it also sucks the fact is a lot of these people aren't really comedy fans. They're there because it's something that you have to see while you're in L.A. We get it. We get it. You, you liked it before it was cool. I get it. Yes, I'm a, I'm a comedy store hipster. Look. <laughs> All these fucking new fans. No, no, they, no. they just like the new album. <laughs> no, it's okay if they're actually comedy fans. If they're just L.A. fucking tourists that are like, oh, the map of the stars say I need to see the comedy store because it's a landmark. I got to be honest. It's the, probably the, the 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 best landmark in LA. Like LA is is amazing, but there's no there's nothing that's like must do or must see. Oh, I remember the pier in Santa Monica. That was cool, but like, well, you're gonna what, you're gonna go to the observatory. Like LA has it's like everything, but nothing. I don't I don't know how to describe. Oh no, it, it honestly is the worst tourism city in the country. It's insane. There's nothing. There's nothing. That, but it's everywhere you go. I swear I've seen it in a, in a TV show or in a movie, right? Yeah. But but there's like nothing to actually see. I went to see, visit my brother, and he's like, "Yeah, do this," and it, none of it, you know. Like I, I just ended up bringing my kid to like a merry-go-round in the park. And oh, it's absolutely horrible for tourism. Is I would never recommend anyone go to LA as a tourist. Venice is good; you can walk around. It's okay, but what makes LA magical is stuff you can't plan trips around. Is oh my god, Dave Chappelle is randomly popping into the comedy store at ten o'clock tonight, and the only reason you know about it is because you know someone who works there. Whereas Tokyo, and I recommend that you all come and come to the uh, Tokyo Comedy Bar, uh, any neighborhood, any time of day, any fucking street, and you'll there there'll be a thousand things on the street. You don't even have to leave that street. You just go you just go to the Seven Eleven. You'd be there for an hour. Like it is a great fucking place to come oh, visit. I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> it's so crazy. This is my third trip to Tokyo. Like of and I've been on six continents, and like this is the only place I've ever been to more than once. Many people would say Osaka has Tokyo beat. Like a lot of people run their mouth about Osaka, but I, I don't, you know, I've spent most of my time here in Tokyo and it's. I've never left. I like three times in Japan, three times in Tokyo, and I feel like I've explored 0.1% of the city and there's so much more to explore. The, I love it here. The rest of the country is interesting too. I mean, you, you guys hike as a family, right? You do that sometimes, yeah. 
they get out there and they just sends me these like pictures like in these like real nice valleys and stuff like that. But uh, the 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 countryside is nice here too. Yeah. Is there a comedy scene outside of Tokyo? Osaka. Yeah. Osaka's got a club. Uh, they go weekly right now. Yeah. Nice room. Yeah. Uh, ROR. Check them out. Yeah. And that's Nagoya. We don't know anything about Nagoya. Yeah. Every once in a while, these people surface. Uh, and they like, they've been doing it for a while. Um, there's a guy called Ricky who comes up, a Filipino guy called Ricky who oh, yeah, comes he's up. Funny. He's funny, yeah. yeah. I don't think he does it much in Agro, but maybe it's just they haven't got the audience, so it's like once a month or it's like every two months when they can get the gang together. Yeah, I don't know. It would be nice if there were a lot of scenes because then we could invite people over and have them do a tour like bring down costs and stuff like that and and i feel like a lot of comedians would jump on that tour i mean instantly it's a very popular place to come visit uh, everyone comes for their own reasons you know uh joe DeRosa was here he he's like i want to i just i just i'm just here because i want to uh, go buy vintage video games and everyone has their own you know i remember when we got frank castillo from roast battle when he came out uh, there were certain things that he was excited about. We never, we were never able to find uh, those Japanese cholos that he was looking for. But <laughs> have, you, have you seen that? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> As an LA person, how do how do you feel about that? I think it's amazing. I think it's absolutely fucking amazing. Like, I love that. Just like people in this country find something and they go so diehard about it. What's a cholo? Uh, like a Mexican sort of. Well, could you describe it, please? I'm gonna probably get canceled for this. Thank you. Oh, do you know? I know. I know. I played. I played GTA San Andreas. <laughs> I think this. Yes. Cholo's in that. Yeah. That was a word used in that. You know, stereotypical like you know, top button white shirt, gothic lettering. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, the old school Latino. You know, gangsters. Like, please don't cancel me if I'm wrong about this. I'm very white. I'm very white and live in Hollywood. Yeah. No. Uh, people in Japan go hard. They do. Um, I. I I was I had a van and when you go camping when you like go to a campsite everyone had their own kit but it was so spectacular like the amount of thought that they put into what they were going to, like how they were going to grill their food this particular Friday night uh, at a campsite it was in, it was it was crazy you know there's a definitely like people here can get nerdy about stuff mm. it's very appealing yeah it really is and it's it just doesn't seem like as an outsider I could be completely wrong about this it doesn't seem like Anyone half-assed anything in here. If you're the 7-Eleven employee, you're passionate about being a 7-Eleven mm. employee. And, and people who don't do anything get super passionate about it as well. Yeah. <laughs> They're really hard into what not the hikikomori. Hikikomori. So, yeah, if you want to explain that. Just like people who give up on life never go out of their room. And they're not, they're not living in big rooms. Like they're, they're living in a tiny room and they, they're like complete shut-ins. And it happens to teenagers, like young adults. Like it happens to people who have – opportunities and options and they're like nah fuck it i give up like manga is good enough for me yeah. video games and stuff like that yeah like i mean real shut-ins like uh it's a real phenomenon but also i find when you meet a japanese guy who's into comedy they're almost like too into it like they go so hard into it and they start talking and straight away they're like oh you must you do comedy you must like love george carlin you must like all these classic people and like they you know yeah but they, I don't study it as hard as you do. People are shocked at how few comedy specials I watch. Yeah. 
I can't do it. That makes sense to work in comics. You don't want to be influenced by someone else's material. You don't. You know what it is? It was Jay Leno who ruined it for me. He was on a. He was on. I think he might have been Rogan. He was talking like I didn't realize how, how much of a badass he was. Like I'd sort of just taken him for granted. He'd always, he'd always been on TV, but like obviously he had to work really, really hard to get there. When you hear him speak, you it, you you kind of like remember like holy shit! Like this guy was at the the pinnacle for decades. And Joe's like, so, you know, when are you going to do a special? He's like, why the fuck would I do a special? He's like, you know, so you can gain new fans. He's like, I <laughs> the TV for 25 years. Like, I, I don't, if you want to come see my show, just come see my show. And then basically the way he described it was uh, standing outside a nightclub looking in through the window. Like, you can see what's going on, but you don't really get it. Uh, and if you look around, like, I mean, obviously the cameras don't catch this, but if you look around this room, there are all kinds of tricks, not tricks, but there are just best practices that are used in comedy clubs that make for a good experience. And uh, there's different styles, like a typical North American club will have a lot of tables because they're making their money on drinks and they want to be able to get you drinks during the show. Uh, here, space is very expensive. If, if you know where we are, we're in, we're in Shibuya. We're in like the, you know, we're a hundred meters from the busiest intersection on earth, right? 2,500 people will cross every time the light goes green. Uh, we're, you know, on the third floor, there's restaurants above us, restaurants below us. Space is, space is at a premium. There's restaurants next door. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're, we're packing people in in seats and uh, got to put a separation between the bar and the room. And it's more like stadium seating. Um, but either way, like, you know, ceilings are low. Uh, lighting is controlled. You want to have an environment that helps bring out the laughter. And I'm not sure comedy specials do that. I feel like whoever has to do the trailers for comedy specials, mm. like has the hardest job in the world. Like how do you, you get, you like, you make, you want to, you make it look exciting. We'll cut to like a joke or like a punchline, people laughing, but like they're, I don't know. But you don't want to give away the special. Yeah. Well, yeah. Those guys at Netflix work hard. Yeah. <laughs> and especially these days where everyone is fighting to get a special out. Like, because they think they'll increase ticket sales. There's just something so much better about live comedy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever special you see, the the people in the room are having a better better time than, than you are at home. Mm. Not to shout out LA too much. That is one of the other perks about living in LA. Get to go to special tapings. I got I, I got to watch three mics get taped. I was at uh, two tapings Classic. of Louis CK's live at the Comedy Store. Uh, what else? I've a handful of specials over the years because. They just ticket the room. They paper the room for those fucking things. Like, you don't even have to pay for them half the time. And it's just like, oh, what you guys are seeing at home does not compare. I don't put up. I don't really put up any of my jokes online. But you're, like, the biggest proponent of us doing specials here. No, not, like, specials, obviously, in inverted commas. uh, I want other people to come after they've run their material for a year. I want them to come film here for sure. Makes sense. It would just up... You know, the volume on the club, yeah. people know, you know, when someone's like live from the Tokyo Comedy Bar, like it just adds recognition. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it, I think it's a, just a great room as well, right? So, oh, no, it is an awesome, it is an awesome room. Like, I I didn't know what to expect because like, I know how much space is at a premium before I walked in. And it was just like, oh, this is an awesome room. Like, this brick was here when we found it. The rest of the room was in just like concrete shell. Yeah, there was a debate about whether to do something with this wall, but the decision was made to keep the wall as is. I think, I think yeah. you made the right decision. I think it looks good. Also, it was the cheapest decision to do nothing. <laughs> so even to remove it would have cost more money. Uh, so this was an empty building. So before, this whole floor uh, was empty. 
uh, beginning of this year, there was like there's two, three restaurants going that, like to our right. The plan was to build like a festival, like a loads of little like ramen booths and oh, yeah, those drinking are... booths, like where you walk down. And it was all for the Olympics, so tourists would come in, and obviously the Olympics then get cancelled or postponed. So this sits empty for three years. Those food hall things are really taking off. They're really good. There's one really taking ones, off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they do them a little bit different. Uh, I mean, obviously you've been to a food court. Uh, it's not like a, it's not like a uniquely Japanese concept, but they uh, they just they they do them like really nice, so that when you flow from like one to another. Uh, the the theme changes a little bit. They've just they put them together in a really really nice way. They're great. Don't wouldn't surprise me in the least bit. Like I am always impressed on how the Japanese do pretty much everything. This Japan was the first place I visited outside of the states, and my first remark being on the Tokyo subway system was, "Holy shit, America is the number one marketed country in the planet, not the number one country." Like the fact that this massive massive subway system, train system is so much easier to navigate for someone who does not speak the language any way, shape, or fucking form than it is to get around in New York. Did you come out here after Google Maps started or before? Uh, first time I was here was 2013, so I was on very limited data. Yeah. But that was about the time things improved. I can't imagine what this place must have been like before the internet. Oh, well, yeah. That, uh... like an old, when I mean like an old grizzled expat, like I'm like, how did you even live? Well, when I, when I was first, I was here for two years when I was a younger man with, before the internet. And uh, yeah, I, I would just come up, I would come up to Tokyo and I would spend like six hours in Tower Records just to read magazines because they had like a small selection of English magazines and it was impossible to get any English information where I lived. Yeah, I hear stories like that. Like I used to once a week, I'd go get the internet. Yeah. That kind of thing, yeah. The the must have been people carrying around giant map books. Yeah, I can't imagine that. that that's because just how the streets are laid out for people who have never been here. The streets make no goddamn sense. Yeah, the and buildings no, in the order, uh, and there's no no road names, and it's just random, not random numbers, but it seems fairly random. Like uh, the address here is the block number one sixteen thirty six. So. Shibuya, number 11636 when you come to Japan, listeners. Okay, don't forget that. <laughs> Good luck finding us. Um, actually, can I ask a question? Of if course. you're here and you do porn, are you doing anything? Are you talking to any Japanese porn stars? I am not, actually. I could have probably arranged something, but technically I'm on vacation. And okay. It, I felt in a lot of those cases, there might be a bit of a you know, language barrier and... All in all, this is primarily an audio format, and yeah. I don't mean to discriminate. And if, like, it could have happened, cool. I, it was one of those things where I brought my gear. If podcasts happen while I was here, cool. If not, mostly I've been taking a lot of photos and okay. just kind of being a drunk and bumming around, being fat. You've been doing the strong zero thing of the Seven Eleven, or a little bit. Yeah, breaking out the highballs mostly. The highball. Okay, so I, whiskey soda was my drink. And when I got here and I realized that you could just get it in vending machines, you could get it at, at you get, every hundred meters is a convenience store. Uh, uh, that's a, that's 97 yards to the Americans. Uh, and you could just get whiskey soda everywhere, you know, eight calorie or hundred calorie whiskey soda everywhere. It was like life changing, you know? Yeah. And like, oh, no one cares if I'm brown bagging it here either. Well, they kind of, they kind of do. Okay, well, no one's ever said anything yeah, yeah. to me. 
so so the uh, there's a stereotype of like the foreigner who drinks outside the Seven Eleven. Also, they don't like you moving and eating and moving and drinking. I don't think anyone would say anything. No. And, and also on a Friday night, like after I know that was on Sunday. After Friday night, I took the train home. It was it was crazy. Last train home from Shibuya. Does everyone done last train? On the oh, yeah. train? The last train on the weekend. Every last train is a is. Why? Oh, I've I've done last train. I've done first train. Uh, the five a.m. train leaving, like Shinjuku. That's the literal ho train. I describe it like because I left, Shin, not on this trip, but on the last trip, like left Shinjuku at five a.m. to go back to where we were staying, and it was like, I just it was like a stadium emptying into the train station. It was just absolutely insane. Yeah. So basically, this is how it works, right? Uh, the trains here are amazing. Uh, the taxis are expensive. So if you – and the trains end early. Like they do maintenance overnight. Right? Yeah, the, the latest train might be a one, and that's only some line. So if so we can't really do very many late shows mm-hmm. um, because people have to get out by 10, 11, 12. But, I mean, that's pretty early. So you're either – if you go past a certain time, that's it. You're out till 5. And and that I think fuels a lot of the love hotels. Like, oh, it's fucking three. I'm bored. Let me just go fuck someone. Uh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of people will pass out just wherever they are because in Japan, if you pass out drunk, no one's gonna steal your shit. No one's gonna pee on you. Like, you're not gonna get removed. Uh, you're just gonna wake up and hope that no one took your picture. And that's it. Like, there's no consequences. So that whole, like, last train thing is a real crazy phenomenon because you have to make that last train. And everyone's just chugged, like, three or four drinks before they get on the train. That's the only time you're going to see fights. That's the only time if you're – we had a show here a couple of weeks ago, and our, our, our good buddy Vinay, who's in L.A. right now, he sat down on a puddle of puke. You know, it just, it just happens. Did. Oh. Did. <laughs> so did you guys ever think about running, like, a super late night till 5 a.m. show? no maybe we could though we do a last train after our late night our friday night show now we do a late night where people kind of rock up but we do try to finish that by midnight just so everyone can get home but also staff i don't know what our staff would do i know that sounds like a really mundane answer would we ever do a late late night show it would just turn into people sleeping here i would do a late late night show if we had a giant whack of of named comics in town so so obviously you might understand the difference between like a just funny and a named comic right so yeah. just funny is someone who's fucking good like you just put them i could put them in a room if i so i sell the room not on their name i just say there's an international headliner i fill the room and then this guy can trust him to do his business like it's not when i say just i mean he's funny like the funny is the emphasis right that is a working professional comedian he's got 45 minutes or she's got an hour uh and you could probably drop her in any room and she's gonna light the place on fire because she's good but we don't know who she is right um or you know doesn't have a podcast hasn't had a national television show just hasn't made you know a name but you can see their clips and you know because of the people that they've worked with that you can trust them in a room uh, but if you had like a bunch of people who were here like in, and and you could keep, you know, you could do one of these like marathon shows and yeah. you'd be here all night. You might have to wait till three o'clock in the morning to see this person. I would do. It. I mean, I think it'd be hilarious. Right. I think that, and I could conceive of like an event or a TV show or a taping here that would bring enough people to to Tokyo. Maybe do it as a, a one off annual thing like yeah. the Tokyo Comedy Bar Marathon show or something. Be, that'd be rad. Yeah, the the other types of the other show that I've attempted to do and I've only attempted to do it once is the Tabby Hodai show. 
the Nomi Hoda. Nomi Hoda. All Hoda. you can drink. Yeah, all you can drink show. Oh, that's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know when you're going to do that. I'll come back for it. <laughs> yeah, just one price and you just drink until you can't drink anymore. What happened? Did it just not work? Just the. the I was not here, by the way. That was We it. used to do it a lot in Shanghai, uh, but here it just, we didn't sell it. Okay. It didn't work out. But so when I was, when I was in Shanghai, we had this weird situation where we had an, like a newly renovated comedy club and the, the, the tenants and the owner got into like a huge fight. And, um, so it was just like empty and he decided to throw a show and everyone who was on that show is they basically banned from the other club. So a whole bunch of people who were like, we're like, all right, I guess we're going to have to do our own thing. But like, no one was not just only, there was only a few people who were like, really, I say good enough to hold a weekend showcase. So we wanted to do something where like, we could have that kind of energy, but still give ourselves an out because the quality wasn't there. So we just like, let's do an open mic, but let's make it all you can drink. And we called it OBOM, which open bar, open mic. And the the comics would, would pay into it too. And like, it was just packed. And it would last like a couple hours. And by the end, I mean, it didn't even matter if you made jokes or not. You just stumbled. It was so much fun. I mean, I don't think, but there's, there's all kinds of stuff you could do there that you can't really do anywhere else. So. Uh, and now you can't really do anything in China because it's like a terrifying place to live. Like, at least in the zero COVID thing is nuts. You happy you got out, I'm assuming? I mean, like, I would be happy if I was still living in like 2012 China, 2010 China, 2013, 2009. Those were, those were like amazing times. Uh, like Japan, you never had to worry about about uh, you never have to worry about like your physical safety ever. Like it's nuts. Like the never have you never have to walk a female friend to a taxi. Like you're just like oh they're hammered. You're like okay bye. They'd go home. Like that is unthinkable in America. The sense of energy of change of dynamism living through two and a half sexual revolutions like in a couple years nuts. Uh, but now it's not the same place as it was. The algorithm is caught up. Like they, the the wild west is it's a lot more subdued, you know. You get knock on the door at like two in the morning, and they're like, "All right, you got to come down to the police station for your drug test." And you're like, "What?" Like when I was living there, you could pretty much do whatever you wanted all the time. There was so much. It was so porous. There was so much happening. It was like I don't know, being in Star Wars. Like I, it's so crazy. Uh, this this is a, this is a lot more of a staid kind of conservative, more managed environment. But I'm older now, so, I, you know, I have my kids. I, I enjoy that they can eat food without, you know, no, like knowing that they won't get poisoned. You know, that? One of my friends wants to describe Shanghai as the misdemeanors are free. The misdemeanors are free. That's a great description, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to contemplate that one. But Ben, you've, you've, uh, you've, you lived elsewhere in Asia. You were in Singapore. I lived in Singapore. That's where I started doing comedy in you Singapore. Lived, you went from like one buttoned up, well-regulated society to another one. Yeah. And if anything, Japan is less regulated. You dead named him again, by the way. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Jesus. It's not even a stage name. It's almost like my nickname. Yeah, I owe you three beers. Yeah. Jesus. They're expensive, but the, the, the beers here are, are fantastic. So. Hmm. Oh, they were. Would you like another one? Sure. Yeah, I'm going to get you one. Well, you're in the middle of telling a story. Please tell the story. Oh, The content is more important than my alcoholism. Okay, please. so I was living in Singapore, and I started doing comedy in Singapore. Boom. 2013, I started doing comedy. And then I got transferred. I was working for I was working for Grand Theft Auto at the time. So Rockstar Games. Rockstar. Huh? Rockstar. What were you doing for Rockstar? I was running their sales and marketing in Asia. 
So I went from London to Singapore and then I got transferred out here to Tokyo. Yeah, and that's kind of where this all started because in Singapore, it's essentially, well, it's not essentially, it is an English-speaking country. Uh, lots of expats, lots of tourists, great shows every single night. So I was a bit spoilt. And then you come to Tokyo and there's like, I don't know, two open mics a month and that's it. So that's where, you know, essentially Stand Up Tokyo grew from. Um, yeah, so it's been good. So what, what made you, like, once you got involved in this environment, like, to continue to scratch that itch, like just you know it was almost like the opportunities kept coming like literally within one year of doing comedy here i got offered a sitcom did that for four years that i wrote and starred in and then it just kind of kept coming the podcast we were talking about earlier that started out as a side project it took off and then i don't know and then it was like a sad two years you left yeah i left, left. and then covid was happening so we couldn't do anything that's actually that's why the podcast took off because we had nothing to do so we couldn't do comedy so we just like okay let's do a podcast um tv show got cancelled so yeah it's like what do we do and we all got old so his tv show got cancelled and and but it was a popular show uh because there was issues with other actors essentially that couldn't make it and so they're like you know what we're just gonna reboot it and I, you were sad about that. Hey, did they reboot it without you? Well, well no. What actually, ha- what actually happened was I fell out with everyone in the fourth season for various reasons. There was a new producer, didn't get on with them. Then the, my, it was like Modern Family. For like, I was a white, I was a British guy married to a Japanese lady. And you were white in the show? I was white. <laughs> I played a white guy. <laughs> I wanted to do something different, but I just didn't feel like the right time. And, um, the wife couldn't do the fourth season because of COVID, uh, because one of her other projects got shifted. And then we didn't replace her. We didn't unviv her. We then, and then yeah, I had a massive falling out. And then I heard it was cancelled. And then Brendan, who's another comedian, wrote to me and said, oh, I'm auditioning for your TV show. Maybe we'll work together. And it turned out he was auditioning for my role. That would have been amazing. <laughs> I mean, like, like I know it would have hurt you so much, but I would have loved. <laughs> That's wild. They're like, oh, we're just going to recast you without telling you. Yeah, but then, then what happened? And this, I'm kind of going this a bit hearsay. Then the granddad in the show said, "Well, this makes no sense. The wife's not in it. BJ's not in it. Why don't we just? What's the point in doing the show anymore if half the, the main two people aren't in it anymore?" The granddad was fantastic. Granddad was great. Um, and. Um, so then they decided to reboot it with a different family, and then that got cancelled as well. Yeah, so the, I was loosely yeah, happy. The, the premise was uh, wife's, wife's, you know, mom died, so they moved back to Tokyo. So it's like you know, the fish out of water. So yeah. moving to Japan, discovering it, uh, and uh, I quite liked it. Like, even I'd watch it with my kid. It was a lot of fun, um, and of course, just you know, hearing all your stories. Yeah, it was fun too. It was good fun. Four years. What's it like shooting television here in Japan? I've never done any television before. What I would say is it's so quick. It's I thought we'd be rehearsing and practicing, and it was just, nope. It's just all budget and all time to shoot. Even if I said, like, I've got that line wrong, they were like, well, no time. <laughs> we'll fix it. We'll fix it later. So actually, it's a little bit budget in that. So I don't know if that's the case for all. I was, I'm now name dropping. I was in this Netflix drama recently as well called First Love, and I would say that one line I had in that, took more time than like a whole episode of my actual sitcom oh american mainstream production is time consuming coming like my production background comes from porn first and like when i've been on mainstream projects it's like you guys work so inefficiently a porn crew is generally like four people tops and you 
I've been on features where we've shot the whole feature in two days. I, I, I wore most of my own clothes <laughs> in this, partly due to size. Like the suit you saw me wearing yeah. uh, on, we, on the roast, I put a suit on. That's appeared at least twice in the series because they couldn't actually <laughs> source a suit for me. <laughs> so, and there was another, I remember another funny time when I, it was, I was sweating so much. And yeah, they just chucked a roll of toilet paper at me and said, wipe it. <laughs> no makeup, no nothing. <laughs> just, just wipe your brow. <laughs> Whereas like doing one scene, this Netflix thing, I like had to like multiple outfits, multiple kind of screen stuff going on. And in the end, I'm in it for like 10 seconds max. Yeah, and that's how it works. It, it It's so wild to me just how much like I'm all for our unions. I'm all for our unions. Please don't hunt me down when I get back to LA. But I'm all for our unions. But it's it's wild, just the inefficiency of American mainstream production. It's like, oh, we're going to do a one day shoot. We have a crew of like forty people. Like, what do half of you do here? I don't know. Can't argue with the results. The amount of incredible stuff, movies, TV shows, and things that have been made. Yeah, but in the no, US is astonishing. But we only we only see like we only see the good stuff. Especially in Asia, we only see the good stuff. But like, how much bad TV must equally be made with so much money? So much. Eh, these days, I don't think as much, just because everyone's competing for eyeballs this much. Like okay. the 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 day of putting out like a mediocre sitcom, just because yeah. they're, they're gone. Because not do you not have a Netflix subscription? Because it's all mediocre sitcoms. Well, how many of them are old mediocre sitcoms? No, uh, yeah, new mediocre sitcoms. Yeah. There's a ton of them. My, my my daughter watches like five at a time. <laughs> See, that doesn't pop up on my recommended stuff. <laughs> you know, I think it's so funny. We've had a couple of comedians over recently. We've got one that coming this Saturday called Derek Mio. Uh, and we had Denny Love as well. And they both got like major TV credits. When I Google them or IMDb them, and I've never even heard of these shows. I don't even know what AMC is. Oh, that's where Breaking Bad was. That was Breaking Bad was. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and The Walking Dead. Okay. And Denny Love was in this huge show called... Oh God, that is a, Empire. It's the one the guy who faked a like a racist yep, yep. was on. Well, the the first uh, roadie from Iron Man, Terrence Howard. There we go. Wow, I just recommend remind, remembered who he was from the credit that he gave up. But anyway, yeah, it, it kind of blew my mind. Like, oh wow, all these huge TV shows and these are like major TV shows, and and I've never even heard of them. Just because I guess living in being from the UK, living you in know, what? it's just there's too much. Too there's much, too yeah. much. You have to pick and choose. One hundred percent. Every time I see someone else's like Netflix algorithm, it's shocking, like how different it looks like from mine. Right? Yours is just mainly Paw Patrol and well, Peppa Pig. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's, it's, I got another couple of years. I, I I do this joke about how I'm from the I'm like new parents. You're on the Encanto timeline. I was on the net. I was on the uh, Frozen timeline. Like I had to suffer <laughs> four years of like I want to be a princess and all the merch and. Elsa this, Anna that. There was like an Elsa phase and an Anna phase, but like I've, it was nuts. And we went to, we went to Hawaii. We stayed at the Disney uh, hotel there because another comedian, he got rolled into like a, like a vacation club membership. Like it was a wedding gift. And, um, and so we went there and I'm like, all right, well, they've got characters. You're going to get to see Elsa. And I got there and they're like, no, the, the princess of Arendelle doesn't, the queen of Arendelle doesn't come to Hawaii. I'm like, well, who do you got? And they're like, we've got Stitch. I'm like, fucking Stitch. Like, <laughs> we come all this way to go hang out with Stitch. <laughs> this blue, this is like a, yeah, it was not good. Like, my, she, 
Stitch tried to like interface with my daughter and she got scared and ran away. Like, oh, oh, <laughs> but oh, it's rather time. Oh, I thought you were just showing me a child. No, sorry, I was just trying to, yes. <laughs> I was trying to subtly off, off mic highlight that you've got, uh, JJ's got a hard out, yeah, a hard out, yeah. yeah. Well, that's another thing I'm curious about. Like, with the comedy scene here, how many of it is older comics with families at this point? I guess too many, really. There, there have been a couple of nights where I'm the young guy on the on the bill, uh, and I'm 41. I think it's because what we had before was this like nice kind of transition. It was transitional, but there was constantly new blood coming in. But over the last three years with COVID restrictions, no one new has come into the country, so you haven't getting this, you know, this person from New York who you know has got a corporate job has done a bit of comedy comes in, freshens it up. We, you know, I guess Troy maybe was the last. Yeah, but even he, he's hes a fantastic comic, American. Uh, but again, yeah, he's got kids. Like, it's tough, yeah. right? So, yeah, so, uh, you know, from a business point of view as well, like having the same six, seven, eight comedians every single Friday who, you know, can blow up a room, but it's the same six, seven, eight people isn't sustainable. So we're trying to, while we wait for that new kind of blood to come in, you know, we're trying to build it up ourselves. So that's why we're doing a lot of open mics. Out of so if you're like a fantastic comedian and also have a teaching degree you should very much consider coming to tokyo we'd love to see I mean, this is a business can't you just give out or try to apply for visas for people i don't think we would as a business i don't think we could uh, sustain them get people as bartenders do it like the comedy store like you're our door guy now you know we i guess we could do that that is an option yeah if this is fraud i have no part of this but if it's not i, I want to cut baby <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, no, it, it, it is an option, but um, yeah, we need to look at how to get new people in. But luckily, like, I'm a bit gutted to be honest, shorter is leaving to Toronto, but we've had some good comedians come through in the last six months or so. So, hopefully, yeah, the couple of comics like I've talked to since I was here on Sunday were all very excited, like, oh, there's a place to get up in Tokyo, that's awesome. We, uh, what's crazy is, uh, like the open mics now, I think we got four or five a week, and they're all full, and that's really interesting is just how uh, how many Asians are on it. Like, it's not – that didn't used to be a thing, but mm. now you walk in, and it's like four, five, six, seven Japanese micers and four, five, six, seven Chinese micers. Uh, the chi- chi- Chinese are definitely – like, they've got the stand-up. Uh, yeah. And it, the, I was there when they when it when people were building that, and, and to see, like, so many people get up on stage uh, – very willing to like talk about their problems, their issues with their parents, dating, sex. And I feel like, I feel like there's, they, they got like the real, they got the mentality for stand up comedy. It's really interesting to see, you know. And I'm hoping that we get the same thing going in Japan, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. So, what does it take to get past at the Tokyo Comedy Bar? We don't really have that mentality here, do we? Sort of. Uh, onto the weekend. There's no, it's, there's no, um, firm delineation right it's not like you're either you're off and then you're on you if you come and you might and you have like a really good five minutes that you might get thrown into the mix with some more seasoned comedians yeah. i think you know um and then you have everyone so like this past weekend there was a kid who's so he's just so awesome right? he shows up to everything and you know we know he's leaving in a couple months so so they wanted to get him up uh even though he was probably a bit green yeah but, you know, it was just kind of like something fell through. Hey, could you get up on stage? And I think he did a good job. I heard really he did good. a good he job. Really yeah. Well. yeah. 
but that, yeah, that guy's going to go places because he's got the, he's got the attitude. I think. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to see how you know different clubs, different bars handle. You know, how do you become a regular? It's yeah. we got a unique set of circumstances. Yeah. yeah, actually, one thing I would say is also unique: seeing the Tokyo Roast Battle because now we, you put us onto that. Uh, like, it's a global podcast, isn't it? The, that, uh, the, yeah violence it's funny how like we have a different style it's almost like a different language has evolved in tokyo because we're not part of the mix we like we go longer we go more in depth right so okay so roast battle has decided that they're going to kind of like patch over a couple like long-running roast shows around the world right in key cities so uh, austin bay area chicago london new york uh, toronto's next and us and like we've just sort of been like out here uh, separated by a continent, kind of like doing our own thing. And what they do is they take the best battles from around the world every week and they throw them up on a podcast. It's, it's usually Pat Barker, Sarah Keller, but like, you know, Frank Castillo might be on there, Nicole Buchanan, Paige, you know, Paige Wesley and they, uh, you know, Omid Singh. And they'll talk about these battles and then you see the difference between the way we do it and everyone else do it. They're just doing these sharp, fast jokes and people, you know, our people are getting up here. They're like going on like two minute long journeys and like bringing stuff back and forth <laughs> you know um but even, even like relatively speaking my battle was a short battle but it's still way longer than the comedy store when i watched Vin- vinai who's one of the owners here did the comedy store roast battle last week and that, like it was so quick yeah oh, yeah <laughs> so it's, quick. the show's an hour long yeah hey, it's lightning fast yeah but we used to do – we used to only do it once every couple months and, and every comedian would come out and we'd sort of make it this really like highly produced, almost like festival atmosphere. And now that we go monthly, we sort of have to cut a lot of that out. And I, I kind of miss it, you mm. know, but it is it is what it is, right? It's a, it's a fun show and it's really fun to see a whole bunch of people who had no – like they never any desire to do that kind of comedy to get like beaten down by me and just have them like I'll constantly be asking, when are you going to do a show? Are you going to show? And then they're like, fine, I'm going to do it. And then like they come off and they feel exhilarated, but they also feel like mean because uh, they said so. it's real. It's just a lot of fun to see that journey that a lot of comedians take because roasting is not something that I think a lot of people can do. And it's not something that I think a lot of people uh, like appreciate. And it's also well past the comfort zone of the audience of many people in the audience and uh, the comedians as well. So we have to really control those variables. We have to like let people know well before they even show up that they're in for like a very dark, very free speech show, but also keep the show very like light and friendly uh, and collegial. So people understand what's going on and you have a responsibility to your opponent when you're on stage to like laugh when they throw something really mean your way to give the audience permission to laugh. And there's all these things that are going on that go into it. Um, yeah, I'm really, really grateful at that, at the fact that like they figured it out, like they figured out this kind of new competitive comedic art form in LA. And also the fact that they were just out there for years telling everyone how they do it. Like they were like that verbal violence podcast, which they don't do anymore. They, they would go behind the scenes and they would talk about how this person does it, how this person does it, how this person does it. And they were never very like Gnostic about trying to control all of roast battle. They were never very like, they never tried to like get shows shut down in other cities. They just did their thing. They produced their show really well week in, week out. And we're just kind of happy to see it take off in other places. And I feel like a different group of people could have really fucked that up. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, they could have totally been gatekeepers and yeah. been like, no, 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 that's our idea. What are you doing? Yeah. How did you guys get hooked up with like the the worldwide? Yeah. How do we get hooked up? I don't know. Uh, we just ran our show for years 
and there was some cross-pollination. People would come out, do our show, I guess, and hear that it was good. We, but when you started it, did you get you didn't, you didn't get permission? No, no, no. But I mean, I like whatever, you know, Instagram, you like them, they like you. Oh, okay. Kind of thing. Uh, I did reach out. Uh, Frank, I guess Frank probably had a lot to do with it. We got Frank out. Frank Castillo won uh, season two Rose Battle. I to see that live. And, and I hit him up, but I'm like, hey, do you want to come to Japan? Like, we, you know, like I'll fly out if you want. He was like, fuck yeah, I'll come. And he hung out for like a week. He's like, oh, me now, you know. Um, I think that was a, that was kind of like the start. And then, then we've had a lot of people come through. Yeah. Fucking awesome. Like, I really am bummed that I'm not going to be in town for, you know, a Tokyo roast battle. The next one, which is in a week, is going to be amazing. Yeah. yeah, I will be back in the States. But yeah, I got to go, guys. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It was a pleasure. Uh, cheers. You guys keep going. I just, but I got to get out of here. I got to go to a school pickup. Yeah, yeah no, it's a funny, funny time to be here, actually. Yeah, yeah hopefully tourists are going to come in and start spending some money. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, now that, like, the minute Japan announced, like, Oh, October 22nd, reopen the tourists. Like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm going. I'm going back. Oh, really? As quick as that? You literally... Yeah, that's when they reopened the American Tourist Visa yeah. 3. It was October 22nd. Uh, saying that, my brother came out as well. Yeah, this last month, as soon as it um, opened up, he was like, yeah, okay. And I saw the flights were under 700. I'm like, yeah, it will cost me more to go to Austin mm-hmm. than to go to Tokyo. Why would I go to Austin? Yeah. Well, welcome. I'm happy to be here. I have also realized that I am too fat to be here this time around. <laughs> I'm literally in pain half the time I've been here just with the amount of walking I've been doing. Because, like, I've been really sedentary the last couple of years because I work from home. Yeah. COVID, all that fun shit. And it's just like I knew before I came here how much I was going to be walking. And then I did not realize how much my body was going to be like, dude, what are you doing? I have literally walked in the last, like, five days I've been here probably more than I have in the last year. What have you got your steps on your phone? Uh huh. Is it? That's good. It's good, except for the agonizing pain at times. Yeah. Okay. Like, I this trip is honestly probably going to extend my life a little bit because when I get home, I'm going to get back to working out. Like, I did not realize how much I had deteriorated the last three years. But have you been smashing it every night? You had a few drinks on Sunday night. No. 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 Um, not every night, but most night. most nights. Because I feel like since I, I've put like ten kilos, what's that in? Is that like six six stone? No, that's a lot. Um, Americans don't use stone. What do you use? Just pounds. Pounds. Jeez, I don't know what they are. I don't know what the pound. <laughs> I, I know what the kilo to, you know, uh, pound conversion is because drugs. But <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, I put on ten kilos since I opened the bar. So that's twenty two pounds for the American two pounds. Yeah, two point two pounds to the kilo. So yeah, so I need to cut down. That is why I'm not drinking right now as well. <laughs> there's, there's nothing wrong with it. I. My body is like you. You need to replenish the calories you're burning, man. You have to. <laughs> Good man. I've been picking out so much while I've been here. It's like fat American portions every time I go out to eat. Well, enjoy your time here. I will. I will. What's the future for the bar? Like, what is? What do you want to do? Do you want to stay in this space? Do you want to expand? Like, I don't think we could expand actually i think at the moment and it sounds maybe a bit no i mean not arrogant i don't I'm trying to think of a good term i don't want to piss off anyone who's not part of there's other comedy in tokyo apart from tokyo comedy bar but in many ways according to google there isn't true um but we are we're essentially an entire circuit in one building so we have to have the space where we can have open mics to you know blood new comedians we have to have a space that we can fill out a weekend show as well so it's hard to find a size that fits everything so anything bigger than this you know, ideally, like you know, for maybe maybe for roast battle we could get a hundred people in, 
well, this capacity is about 60. But if you've got a room that sits like 100, 200 for a big show, then what do you do on a Monday night when you've only got an open mic if it was really empty? So I think this is a good size. Location's great as well. Hopefully, though, maybe we can start moving into like bringing over bigger comics. Maybe not putting them on here. Maybe, you know, renting a theatre for them. Um, as a group, you know, we talked a little bit about podcast success that, you know, we, I've had in the sitcom as well. I think now we've got a base that we can market from. You know, we're on the map, both, you know, internationally, both, you know, with TV, local TV, like local Japanese TV stars want to try a bit of stand up coming in here. Maybe something can build from that as well. But I think, uh, you know, we've only been open six months and we lose money on a monthly basis. So that's our first goal. Definitely don't want to just piss it all away. I get it. Yeah. I totally get it. Are you personally going to be going out for more TV stuff or? Yeah. <sighs> mate no no and nothing's on the cards at the moment i've never you know it's it's hard to replicate that like the circumstance of getting that sitcom were fairly unique like was just totally serendipitous how'd it come about literally i made a music video ruben who did the guitar song that you saw he did a music video uh, for one of his songs that got a nhk essentially the biggest tv broadcaster in japan Saw that, then came to a show. I emceed the show. They liked it. Then had a coffee with the, the producer, and she had an idea that she wanted to do a sitcom. I pitched an idea to her, and she said, "Okay, let's give it a go." And miraculously, I got the okay for it. So four years doing that, yeah. That is like though it's in Tokyo, like the LA dream stuff. Like I'm just gonna get discovered working at my normal job. Yeah, I know. No, literally, I was working. I was I had left Rockstar at that stage, and I was working for visa the credit card co- or the payments company oh, and uh, yeah that's what i was doing my day so i was writing the sitcom during my lunch break and then took two weeks off to shoot it and i didn't even tell the office i just said i was going back to london because i was a bit worried if i like how do you tell how do you tell your boss that you're doing a sitcom and hopefully he finds out he did they did find out and then season two i was pretty much told you know what do you want to do doing the sitcom stuff or because i was working on the olympics as well sponsorship and yeah they made me that was a tough that wasn't a tough decision i did the sitcom um but yeah yeah i don't i don't know how to recreate that magic but i guess actually the way to recreate it is just do what we were doing before like making videos making content you never know who's watching if the stuff's good show you saw here was good i think um it was it was aim for a high level of quality on a weekend so if that just keeps going and building we'll build a name for ourselves yeah, yeah i'm not just being polite like I came in here without knowing a single comic on the bill, not knowing who was being roasted, and had a great time. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a very. I know it was weird. We had a couple other tourists as well. We had like the main, the mainly like eighty percent of the room were friends or community members, and then we had you and maybe two other people who had no idea what was going on, but everyone had a good time. Yeah, yeah. and the jokes hit. And I'm not a comedian by any stretch of imagination, but there was a couple of the roast jokes where like I would hit him with this, but you know, yeah, <laughs> back of my head and like. But it was a lot of fun. It was absolutely a lot of fun. Like I, I had zero expectations. Like I've gone popped into random comedy shows in my travels to like just around the U.S. And it's just like sometimes you get really mediocre shows. Sometimes you get really great shows. You never know, and that's half the adventure is trying to find out. Yeah, and actually, one of the good things about Tokyo comedy or this bar is the open mics are good as well because there's no there's no real other competition. You know, like I think when I've gone to open mics in London and I've done a couple in San Francisco, you know, there's so many open mics. You turn up, 
and you're performing to no one or you're performing to the other comedians who aren't listening. They're either in their head or on their phones. But here, you know, essentially it's the only show in town. So we get tourists coming in. So, we, you know, it's an open mic. We've got a pretty full room. We had 30 people last Saturday for our open mic. That's awesome. Because, yeah, LA open mics, for the most part, you were performing for the other comics. Yeah. Uh, Jay, who hosts your open mics, was like, oh, you should get up. You should get up. I'm like, I'm not a comic. And, like, I, looking from what an LA open mic is, and not to sound like I'm a big shot or you could just go in any way, shape, or form, it would be a step backwards in my career to take a do an LA open mic. I don't want to be a comic <laughs> yeah. in the first place. Yeah. It would be a step it would just be a weird stuff in my career. I think I mildly offended Jay with that. I'm like, you don't understand. Like, there's the weird prestige or, or lack thereof of doing open mics in LA. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we actually stopped calling our open mics open mics because we've realized it was actually turning the audience away. We just we call it Comedy Factory now. Um, essentially, it's an open mic, but yeah, you know, we get a decent sized audience and we get 15 comedians coming in and everyone listens. There's no other there's no other gigs to go to. And I mean, the comedy store calls theirs potluck. Oh, really? Is that what they call it? Okay. I mean, I've, I've been to the comedy store once. I saw Mark Maron there. I went. I was on honeymoon. I went to Costa Rica, but we had to do a stopover uh, for a couple of nights in LA. And I went down. Who did we else did we see? It was good. good show. We, oh, we saw the judge from Rose Battle as well. I don't know what his name is. Uh, Jeff Ross? No, not the judge. Oh, not the judge. The referee, the guy who jumps up and down. Oh, uh, Brian Moses? Yeah. yeah, Brian Moses. Yeah, I saw him. He was good as well. Yeah, I'm not quite as up to date as JJ is on all the American comedy stuff. I don't listen to all the podcasts. It's a great comedy town. It absolutely just. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious. I don't. I don't think we actually touched on it. Like, what made you decide to do comedy when you were working for Rockstar? Oh, uh, I I literally just went to an open mic. I went to an open mic with my girlfriend at the time. Her friend was performing, and just it was it was I don't know. It was it was it was not a good show, and I think I left thinking I could do it. And then I just wanted to do it once, and then it just took off from there. I think, what, yeah, it just got it got me. It just got me. Yeah, kind of under your skin, just had that itch. Yeah, I think you know. I think it was almost. I couldn't understand how badly it had gone. The first time went badly. Maybe the first three, four times, and I was like, I, do, oh, if I, I should have just done that. I should have said that. If I did it, did it in that way, it would have worked. And then after within that process, and then you build a network of friends. You, you know, you like, and then moving here, like literally all my friends are comedians now. So. So when you first moved here, like, how did you find the comedy scene here? Um, I found it hard, actually. I found I was so used to in Singapore having so much so much performance time, you know, and it was you know really scarce. You know, like I think we said two open mics and maybe one show per month, and you know I wasn't good enough or wasn't embedded enough to get on the show at the time. So then I just started my own show in Rapongi, good bar actually, two dogs, uh, and then it just picked up from from that. And it, I think. Uh, I think what happened was once you started putting on one good show, then people start coming out of the woodwork. And then once you've got a one good show and you've got a new audience every time, then it motivates comedians to write more. And that's what we're finding here as well. You know, either can be like an upward spiral or a downward spiral. And if you're on the up, you know, audiences are good. Comedians really work hard and it kind of builds, builds, builds. And I think that's what happened back around 2015 when I moved here. Just like a good time. And also tourists started coming. You know, Japan put a lot of effort leading up to the the not the World Cup, the Rugby World Cup and the Olympics to make it easier to come here, cheaper to come here, built new hotels, put a lot of effort into like English speaking or like signage around the city. Oh, I, I know, I was so thrilled. Like so much better now. 
the first time I was here was 2013 to like 2014. And I found it was pretty easy to get around at that point. Yeah. But like when I was here in 2016, it was just like, oh, this is so. Yeah. And like all the, all the signs are in English now. And uh, yeah. And it just kind of caught that. So I remember doing the Rugby World Cup, you know, we, you know, doing comedy here. You know, we could have put a show on every single night, you know, all these rugby fans over. And the rugby, the way it works is the games, because of the physical intensity, it's only once per week. So you've got this whole week to kill during during like the mid the, the, on the weekdays and yeah we had lots of great shows then so yeah and then yeah just i was just i was just very lucky actually <laughs> just to get that sitcom was amazing yeah and that's just how entertainment rolls sometimes like yeah. sometimes it is just you know it's a combination of talent and luck yeah. yeah like if you don't have talent when luck comes calling you're fucked but if you just have talent you're probably gonna go nowhere yeah yeah, yeah no i was super 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 lucky yeah. I mean, there's plenty of people that have talent. Yeah. I know a whole lot of them that are doing menial fucking labor. Oh, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> a lot of very talented musicians who are just like, I want to be a rock star, but I don't want to actually put in the work. And they're just hoping. And that's just how it is sometimes. So, yeah. Yeah. Good on you. Like, don't ever begrudge that you got lucky. Yeah. Well, you know, and also, like, I guess what one thing with this Tokyo Comedy Bar, the goal is... And it gives us a platform to be lucky. It's easier to be found where there's a place to find you. Um, it's easier to get better at doing comedy when you can perform every single night of the week, which, you know, back in the day when you had, like when I first moved here, you had two shows a month. You can, you know, how, how do you test material? You, right. know? you can't have back to back to back to back audiences to try that same joke or yeah. tweak it a little bit. And Yeah. So, yeah, I can see it already. Like within our group, everyone's getting so much better. In the last six months, we've got to, you know, materials have been churned over. Um, so hopefully that continues as well. Yeah. That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. Like, I'm ecstatic that I, like, decided to stumble in on Sunday. Like, it's one of those things where, like, I Googled it before I got here. And I was just like, oh, yeah, 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 I should do that. I should do that. And, like, didn't make it on Friday for the, the late show. And then Saturday, because I had blown out my legs from how much I'd been working. Oh, really? Okay. Like, I just kind of stayed in on Saturday. Like, uh, okay. I'm like, Okay, the roast the roast is cheap on Sunday. <laughs> well, it's probably a good show to come because it really was the community showing up as well. Um, so if you come if you come on Friday, the early show especially, there was no one here from Tokyo because we had one guy from Osaka, one lady from Poland, one lady from the UK, and one guy from San Francisco. So we try to put when a guest is over, we try to give them a Tokyo welcome, make sure they have a good time. Also good for our audiences because it's totally fresh material. Um, but it was like a really international show. So had you come on Friday, you would have met me. And that's it. That, yeah, that was it. <laughs> oh, Pete was on. Pete was on as well. We were giving Pete uh, uh, some stage time before he leaves. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Do you hope it's eventually to a point where that people don't feel the need to be transient to move to other scenes? Selfishly, I guess yes. That would be great. I can't see an endpoint where a good comedian can genuinely make a living. Out, you know, obviously, hopefully, you know, we make a living here. I'll probably get another job soon. Actually, I run this place now, but I'm looking to get another, like, go back to my corporate job, uh, a corporate role. Um, I can't see how this would accelerate to the extent that you can make a full time living doing comedy. So, in that sense, if you've got a great, we've got a great comedian, we can build them up. Then, yeah, the, the natural yep. endpoint is that they leave. But you guys could eventually get into producing YouTube co- shorts and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, and, you know, monetize that way too. Yeah. Yeah, I, actually, we tried, and actually, we, we started when we first started. We had all, all this enthusiasm. We were filming everything, and then it's like, oh no, we have to edit everything, and we have to put everything out and the, subtitle everything. It just ended up being like a massive hard drive of 
nothingness. Um, but we, no, we're looking to do that. We actually brought an equipment, a bit of equipment for the roast battle so we can stream it a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah, no, we are looking for stuff like that. And also the Japanese side. I speak Japanese. We do Japanese comedy once a month as well. And I think there's a great potential there. Uh, and weirdly, out of the the owners, there's four, there's six owners, but four of them are comedians of this bar. Three of them speak good Japanese, good enough to perform on TV in Japan. So I've done a bit of TV work. Ruben with the guitar has won a few TV competitions as well. And hopefully we can build that up as well somehow. Because that, that's potential. That's like, hopefully could be like some kind of regular pace of work there as well. What is traditional Japanese comedy like though? Like how does it compare to Western style stand-up? Um, well, firstly, it's like Laura and Hardy, like two, two, like, to two comedians talking and not always but typically it's like kind of vaudevillian yeah so like when i listen to the actual bits i'm like that could actually just be stand-up it could you could be like act you know when bill burr does an act out and he's like going side to side you know that's essentially what they're doing as well which is having two people read the parts one thing i would say is it's all um it's all focused on tv there's no live scene here really so you have to you, you perform you do the live shows to get onto TV. All your material is focused to get being on TV. And, and to be on TV, you need like a hot three, five minutes. That is totally clean, really basic because you're, you know, you ha- the shows are being broadcast to like old people. Like the majority of people watch TV are old, you know, especially in Japan, you know, the population is so old. Um, so yeah, there's a weird like disconnect where it's very clean material, non-political, non-kind of social issue based. It's just like about going into convenience stores mainly. Um but that's because that's what TV wants and sponsors want. Well, I know on the roast on Sunday, so I make it made a joke about uh, Abe getting shot. And yeah, it was kind of like, oh, should I have said that? Well, yeah. <laughs> but I think also that we, there's a fine line about doing jokes about Japan. Uh, Japan seems to, or the Japanese audiences seem to like people making fun of Japan to a point, and then it's, once it starts being critical, you know, overly critical then uh and maybe it's just a tone thing obviously that was a that was a roast joke it was different but you know i'd be careful about doing too many anti-japan jokes on a normal show you know maybe if you're the first comedian to do it, it's fine but if like, you're the third comedian on a bill going isn't japan stupid or something um yeah, yeah japan doesn't like that there's been a this is not japan but you know jj was talking about china comedy club being shut down in china and there was a big incident recently in Malaysia where the only comedy, or I think the main comedy club in KL got shut down for, by the government for a joke that an open micer did. So it's always like, we don't want to get in trouble. So what is the free speech like situation? Oh, it's fine. Open. Totally open. Yeah. They, they legally can't shut you down. Yeah, they really can't. But, you know, and I don't think they would, but, I, you know, I don't want them. I don't, you know, I don't. You know, that Abbey joke, that's not a political joke, really. It's just a... No, it was just a funny joke. Cheap shot, yeah, really. And it was a good... In everyone's oh, context, it's shot. Shot. Yeah, I know, I was going for something there. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's no... But, you know, I wouldn't be respectful. You know? And by the way, for the most part, obviously Japan socially has got some issues, but for the most part, it's very nice to live in. You know, I don't think anyone's living here complaining about their lives, mostly. So The lack of sex life, but... Yeah. Judging by the population rates, but... But not <laughs> judging by the birth rate of founders of Tokyo Comedy Bar at the moment. We've got uh, you guys are just, two, ba- two babies on the way. <laughs> like, we have come here to bring comedy and repopulate the country. That's right. One by- <laughs> Beautiful half-Japanese daughters, one by one, yeah. Just going to impregnate chuckle fuckers yeah. <laughs> until we have repopulated Japan. You joke, but that's the hardest thing is to get our wives to come to comedy at the moment. Uh, my wife has only been here once, I think, after six months. 
Um, she, although she's not Japanese, she's actually grew up in she's half Japanese and uh-huh. she grew up in London. Yeah. So she gets comedy, like yeah, yeah, yeah. She gets comedy. Yeah. Comics that if they you know married a traditional Japanese woman who might not get stand up, like that'd be an interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think that might be. Although, I, no, actually, she's quite. My wife's quite funny, and she's good. Good running jokes off and like, even good running nasty roast jokes too she like understands them you know has ideas this week yeah but i wonder i wonder if you've got like a very traditional japanese wife what they think about you going and spending your evenings roasting other gaijin old gaijin for looking like <laughs> scrotum breeze dry scrotum yeah <laughs> don't know what you think um joking aside i probably need to wrap up as well because i need to pick up my baby no worries no worries yeah well, I forgot to ask JJ before he left. We're going to call last call since you got a guy here and, you know, pick up your child. Yeah. Child getting in the way of comedy. Yeah. I'll be back tonight. Well, I won't be. Yeah. BJ, where can they find you, the bar, everything on the socials? Okay. We are Toko Comedy Bar. We've got a very basic name, Tokyo Comedy Bar. Uh, socials is, I think, on. let's go to Instagram, at Toko Comedy Bar dot official. Someone else got Toko Comedy Bar. Weird. Someone else took it. Are they doing anything with it? No. Bit annoying. Um, but Tokyo Comedy Bar dot official. We're on YouTube as well. I think the show that uh, Matt saw will be on our YouTube channel, and that's how, uh, the channel will be Stand Up Tokyo. Stand Up Tokyo. BJ, it was a pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to use your space to do this. Thank you very much for coming. It was my absolute pleasure. And as always, you can find me at Matt underscore Slayer on Twitter, Matt Slayer on Instagram, Matt F and Slayer on Facebook, twitch.tv slash Matt F and Slayer. You can find the Patreon content with the exclusive content, the uncensored content. There's no nudity in this episode that's sorry to disappoint at patreon.com slash Matt Slayer. You can find the podcast at And Now We Drink on Twitter and Now We Drink underscore on Instagram. And until next week, drink up, motherfuckers. Bye. Bye.